Welcome to another episode of Politically Entertaining. I'm Frank here with Byron. Byron, we've been off for a few weeks. Uh, the last episode we had, we had a great discussion of the Mobile mayoral uh, race. That was such a great episode. It's great to give back and, and, and do the local politics thing like we said we were going to do when the season started. Uh, this week, so much to get to. We're going to go all over the place. Um, but before we get into all that, let the listeners know why they should be listening to Politically Entertaining every week. Oh, man. Basically, we bring you news and politics that's important to you. Uh, we realize for a lot of people, politics is not the thing to follow on a day to day basis. So what we try to do is uh, bring it to you at least once a week, consolidate it, break it down and present it to you in an entertaining uh, manner. And I think that last episode, as you just mentioned, Frank, was an example of that. Got a lot of good feedback on that episode. Uh, appreciate both guests that came on, Tim Hill and Erica Cooley. Thank you guys again. Um, we got a lot to get into today, Frank. Um, not as many topics because the final topic that we're going to get into today, I really want to spend quite a bit of time on it. But um, we have she's not a scientist, but she definitely is very knowledgeable of the science field. Dr. Jenny Morver. You're going to enjoy that interview. It's uh, it's quick and to the point, so please stick around for that. Trust me, you're going to enjoy that interview with Dr. Morber. Before we get into that, though, uh, Frank, uh, last week or maybe even a couple of weeks ago or even a month ago, I'm not exactly sure when it happened, but Louise Linton, she is an actress who's played in a movie, movies such as uh, Cabin Fever. She's played in an episode of CSI. She's also the wife of the current uh, Treasury Secretary. And I forget exactly when, I think a month ago or so, she made an Instagram post naming the, the different labels that she was wearing, such as like uh, Hermes, uh, I think Jimmy Choo or Red Bottoms, whatever she was wearing. But she lists all the labels that she was wearing and just pretty much, you know, Frank, life is good. Look at me. I'm, she was stunting. You know, to put it a certain way, she was stunting on them. Well, one of her followers, you know, uh, criticized her for it and they got in a back and forth. You know, the, the followers said, hey. It must be nice to get all that stuff on the taxpayer's dime. And so Miss Lynn, she fired back saying, you know, uh, I'm sorry that your life is so simple, boo boo. Pretty much put the woman down and uh, pretty much said that, you know, it's too bad that you can't live the life that I live. Well, obviously, that kind of stuff is going to backfire. So, Frank, she wound up apologizing. And I don't know whose side I'm on. I, I guess Miss Lynn, she was wrong for you know, talking down on someone like this, but the whole uh, taxpayer argument, it's, it's about as annoying to me as when fans like to yell at players, hey, I pay your salary. So many of these taxpayers love to, to, to yell out whose salary they're paying and what their tax dollars are going for. Man, your tax dollars go to so much dumb, stupid, frivolous stuff that, you know, pointing out this doesn't mean much, but Miss Lynn, she wound up apologizing in a ball gown, which I mean, who is her PR people, man? Like you're you're apologizing for for pretty much wearing all these different labels. And then you, you're in a ball gown when you do the apology, man. So not sure how familiar you are with the story, but whose side on you are you on if you are familiar with it? And what's your take on the whole back and forth with Miss Lynn and the following? I mean, honestly, I, I did read a little bit about the story, um, and it's a typical of uh, a celebrity we love to live in. We love to hate celebrities. I mean, we watch these, we make these 
uh, basketball wives, his Kardashians into celebrities because of what they have, right? Because of what they wear. I mean, they're not really otherwise famous other than the fact that they have means to have things that we all desire and cover. When I say all, I mean the general population, not necessarily me and you. But so this woman is basically flaunting what America celebrity culture promotes, which is, look, I got on this, that, this and that. Wouldn't you love to be me? And of course, people got upset because, you know, they maybe couldn't have it. They felt jealous and they fired back the whole, oh, it's nice to get that on a taxpayer's dime and all those kind of things. But um, to me, I'm I don't really I'm, I'm kind of neutral on it. Honestly, it's just typical. It's typical because, you know, if. Now, what I, what I will say is her apology, that was shade, because for her to apologize in a ball gown, it's like, okay, you're you are really sorry. <laughs> Initially, she could have just been, honestly, stunned. We all stunt in our own way. I mean, there's a Bow Wow Challenge, right? That's about stunning, right? Mm. I mean, except he was not quite stunned in the right way, but I think we all she, have that in us. So, she got a Cardi B on, so a Bodak Yellow on. Exactly. So to me... It's it's a non-story. It's it's there's so much going on that we gotta get to, and whether you know or not people like how somebody's name dropping. I mean, people don't forget, remember this. I'll, I'll drop this with you. When LeBron lost the first finals in Miami, he basically made a similar comment of, well, you know, everybody who's hating on me, they gotta go back to being them. Their life is miserable, and I'm still LeBron. I mean, he didn't say it exactly like that, but I'm just saying he took a shot at his detractors. So it was so funny too. It's to not me. the first time to me that people have done that. And I wouldn't say either time is unjustified. It's just people are human. And just because you're jealous of what they have doesn't mean they're beholden to be humble. Because that's not even what we want anyway. We want people to be stunting and then we're like, oh, you're not humble. So just silly, uh, non-story to me. So much more, so much exciting stuff that we can get to. But yeah, yeah she, she, I, won. I, she won though. She won. I'm just going to yeah, she won. I, I just hate when people assume that if you're rich, you don't have... You know, feelers and stuff. So I like when the occasional celebrity, like you mentioned with LeBron, they so to speak clap back. But like you say, it's not a story. Definitely was fun to start the show off with, man. But with that said, let's go ahead and get into some politics. Politically entertaining your Cliff's notes to American politics, and now your hosts Frank, Frank and Byron. Show. We've been going for a couple of weeks. Thank you for joining us again on another episode of Politically Entertaining. We're on iTunes, Stitcher Radio, Podbean, as well as uh, podcast on Google Play. So check us out. Follow us on Facebook under Politically Entertaining, as well as uh, Instagram. Last week. You may have heard a lot about the Deferred Action for Childhood Arrivals, also known as DACA. Uh, basically, you, you may have been hearing a lot about it. I'm not sure how well the media has been explaining what DACA is. But basically, DACA is, you know, children that have come, you know, to this country with their parents 
And this is like pretty much the only country they've known. A lot of them come over here when they're like two and three years old, or even younger. So this is the only country that they've known. And so the Obama administration came up with, you know, DACA to allow these kids to stay in this country uh, legally as long as they work. And I think it's some other provisions in it. Well, this current administration, uh, a.k.a. Frank's boy, has repealed it. And there are a couple of myths about DACA uh, that, you know, are perpetuated by by the right. They like to say that, you know, illegal immigration has increased because of this executive order that Obama did. But it's not true because the influx of illegal immigration began in 2008. And that was mainly because of Mexican crime down there where the cartels, they have been targeting, you know, young kids to and recruiting them to be in their game. So that has, you know, led to a lot of younger people fleeing to this country. And that began in 2008. DACA wasn't announced until 2012. And it was only it's only for people that have been here from June 15, 2007 to uh, June 15, 2012. So in that five year span, it's only for people that have been here during that time. It doesn't count for anyone after that. If you came after if you can't prove that you were here before June 15, 2012, then you're not protected under that. So this myth that. That's the reason we've had an influx of illegal immigration is false. Now, Trump, again, a.k.a. Frank's boy, is claiming that he's going to put this on Congress. So that's why he repealed it, because he wants to put it on Congress and legally do it, because Obama got tired of waiting on Congress and he just did an executive order and um, brought about DACA. Trump, man, he, he had like four positions on the day that they announced this repeal. He went from. You know, Congress needs to do its job to having his uh, secretary of uh, the Department of Justice head, uh, your boy Sessions, the attorney general. He came out and saying how we're going to repeal it. Then Trump said, you know, we do love the people on DACA. We just need to get this fixed. And he took like another position later on that day. It's hard to keep up with that guy sometimes. But don't fall for this whole the administration is trying to push this whole Look, we just want to do it the right way. We want to make sure that Congress passes a legal law so we can really implement it in the correct way. This is the same administration that wants the Senate to do away with the filibuster. So it would be just like the House of Representatives, where a simple majority can pass everything. The reason we have a filibuster is so the majority party can't just run bills, uh, you know, like the the whole repeal Obamacare. That would have passed if we didn't have filibuster because they could have just did it with a simple majority. So uh, don't fall for that. And, you know, they, they could have left it alone. It seems, you know, very a lot of people are calling it cruel. Uh, you see some protests across the country. Want to get your thoughts on the uh, repeal of DACA? Are you buying the administration's argument that they just want to do it the right way? Does it come across as another cruel policy against people that don't look like white males in this country? First, I want to start off by saying what's not another thing that's not true, which is um, Trump being my boy. I think you got to be confused <laughs> with somebody else, but that's OK. We're going to just leave that leave that there. I mean, let's just be honest here. This administration is up to no good for lack of a better word. I'm generally more articulate than that, but that's really what it comes down to. And everything they say 
they're doing they're they're doing the opposite. You know, they they claim you know. Remember when Paul Ryan was getting up giving passionate speeches about these uh, high risk pool and how they want to just make healthcare better for everybody? Yeah. yeah. Remember those days. <laughs> Right. So now they're trying to make things better for all the Mexicans that are bringing their rapists and their uh, bad people to the country. And so do you really think that now they're going to have compassion on people um, that, you know, they feel like may not be here legally? So I, I, don't, I don't see. And, and, and for those who don't know what kind of man Sessions is, he's that old school. There, there's different kind of racists in the world. Don't get me wrong. There's liberal racists. I don't want, I don't want to get confused. But he's that old school Southern. I'm a hang a nigga from a tree racist. Sorry. So he's that old school. He's that Uncle Tom's Cabin racist. So he's making sure he's gonna he gonna get ice and he gonna round up everybody he can. Um, in my opinion. So. You know, he's just a bad person. You know, he is a bad person. And that's one of the things when we talked to people on our show previously that I really, of all the people in this cabinet, I was most concerned with it was Jeff Sessions because people forget that Coretta Scott King and the Martin Luther King that we love to whitewash now years later, his wife was like, yo, Jeff Sessions is not fit to be a federal judge. Now he's the attorney general. But his letter couldn't, the letter couldn't be read. You know, it's absurd what's going on in this country. So to answer your question, I expect nothing but chaos to happen. And I really feel bad for any of the people that were part of that were going to be affected by DACA because they will be uh, deported or or worse, potentially. I mean, I, nothing would surprise me with this administration. Nothing. You know, you mentioned Jeff Sessions as a senator, man. I wish I had the exact amount of times. But I can I can honestly tell you with with without a shadow of a doubt, he spoke on illegal immigration more than any senator probably in the history of the United States Senate. That was like his that was his go to like illegal immigration. That that was his big thing. So this is right up his alley. And, and where it is that he's the one that convinced, you know, Trump to repeal this act. So uh, we'll see if Congress. Uh, does pass something so it can be, uh, you know, so to speak, etched in stone. But it's it's definitely interesting, and it, it really is unfair to, you know, kids who this is the only country they know. So you're gonna make them go back to a country that they don't know. So a lot of go- lot going on. Um, we're gonna talk to Dr. Jenny Morber. She is a science journalist, and Frank and I had a couple of questions for. Her, so check out this interview, and we'll talk to you on the other side. Listen up. It's time for a politically entertaining exclusive interview. Today we have a special guest. She is a freelance science journalist who has a Ph.D. in material science and engineering. I'm going to ask her a few questions. And I'm told if we call you doctor that you get extra points. So that is what I'm going to do. Dr. (laughs) Dr. Jenny Morber, I want to thank you for coming on today. Oh, thank you for having me. So, as I said, I uh, wanted to ask you a few questions in the field of uh, science. And my first question, in lieu of, uh, you know, the recent hurricane in Houston, uh, was that Hurricane Harvey. Mm-hmm. And as we record now, we have Hurricane Irma bearing down on our South Florida. I didn't notice, uh, Jenny, but there is a significant amount of population 
that believes we can create and guide where a hurricane makes landfall. Uh, for you that, you know, this is kind of like in your field. Is that infuriating uh, that people well, believe that? Or, or do you find it complimentary that people think science, the science world is capable of doing such things? Like, which way do you look at it? Well, um, I think you should never... You should never get mad at people for for thinking these things because for most of us science just feels like magic, doesn't it? I mean, yes. we can we can make people who can't move, we can listen to their thoughts and and make them move. Um, our cell phones are incredible. The idea that we have this device in our hand that can do all these things. And so I think scientists sometimes um, ridicule uh, people like that, and really we shouldn't because if if they believe this, it's it's not it's less their fault and more our fault for not communicating effectively, for not educating um, effectively, and as far as you know what can and can't happen based on the laws of physics and and what we know. So I mean it's it's exasperating, but not because I you know, think these people are stupid. It's just like, oh, my gosh, we have not done our jobs. Very, very, very diplomatic answer. I like it. <laughs> now, no, it's true. It's really true. I just I get so upset at scientists who make fun of, of people um, because, you know, it, it just, it's just so arrogant. Um, right. You know, believe me, I'm a scientist. Well, yeah, I mean, you have a lot of information, but... But um, I mean, these people are trying to make sense of their world just just like we are. So I don't. Know. Gotcha. Okay. Mm-hmm. I want to I want to stick kind of like in that line of question mm-hmm. questioning. Um, by most studies, uh, when you look at the numbers, the number ninety seven percent continues to pop up. Ninety seven percent of scientists agree on climate change. What are the 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 other three percent, the dissenters? What are their arguments? against what you know the majority of the science world believes when it comes to climate change like what is their argument when they when when the 97 percent look at you know the facts of climate change what are the mm-hmm. dissenters looking at and saying no that's not true that's not right there is um, no climate change well i first want to preface that by saying that this is not my field um, so I am not an expert on this. And so whatever answer I come up with is going to be kind of a guess by me. Okay. Um, but um, first of all, you're, it's going to be hard to get 100 people, 100 percent of people to agree on anything. Right. You know, like three out of four people love this toothpaste and, you know, the other person who knows what happened. Um, so I think part of it is that there's a few studies that have found results that, um, you know, go against this 97%. Um, a lot of the researchers say that these studies are seriously flawed in some ways. Um, I don't know. These, I, I honestly don't know. That's a really great question. Um, I don't want to say that these scientists were influenced by something. Um, maybe they were, the study was funded by an organization that might have, influenced them. I mean, I don't know for sure. That's that, something that occasionally happens. That is a popular belief. Yeah. Um, I, I would really have to look into it. I don't want to accuse anyone of, you know, of doing something unethical without, without knowing. But sometimes st- studies are funded by private industry, and even the best of us, you know, it's hard not to understand 
where that money's coming from if that happens. So. Gotcha. Uh, Dr. Morgan, I'm going to jump in here. This is Frank. And speaking, you, you talk about influence when it came to maybe those scientists were uh, influenced by an outside force. But one of the pieces mm-hmm. that you wrote on your website, which is very intriguing to me, about how racial bias can be, uh, you know, how would you say, tr- um, potentially combated with a, with a rubber hand. Can you explain, mm-hmm. um, for, for those who don't read the article, it's a very intriguing piece. Basically, the idea that if a person thinks they have a darker hand, their, their implicit bias against dark-skinned people will go mm-hmm. away. What was your thought behind that kind of study? And do you think that kind of thing is something that when we have all this racial angst in the country, that this, this type of scientific approach could really help break some of that down by uh, allowing people to kind of get a feel for that. Uh, just, just kind of explain that. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's, it's just really fascinating. And I've been thinking about that a lot lately because I've been thinking about what we can do to try to bring the country together. It seems so divided. And as far as racial bias, it seems that um, anytime we imagine ourselves as someone who is a different race, our kind of implicit biases tend to decrease. So this, the study that you're talking about um, has people where there's a, like a separation between them and one of their hands. And so they can't see their hand. And then in a mirror or with a, like a curtain, they have this rubber hand, right? And the rubber hand, the skin is darker than, than the person's normal hand. And um, you know, obviously they know that this rubber hand is, is not theirs, but part of their brain, you know, you want your brain wants your body to be complete. And so the brain kind of incorporates that um, into its visualization of itself. And so they give these people a test that tests racial bias. And it's interesting. It's you um, have two different words and you have to respond and it, it judges how quickly you respond. So it might say, oh, I don't know. um Dog and dirty, okay? And so if you consider dogs to be dirty, the idea is that you'll respond faster than dog and smells like perfume, okay, for instance. Um, But so if you have negative biases, say, about um, African-American people, the words that are that you associate, you'll be able to respond to faster than words that are, you know, something that you don't associate together. And it turns out that after the study, um, people who had incorporated, sort of incorporated that dark-skinned hand into their mental view of themselves through through this experiment, um, tested as being less biased, um, according to this test. And it worked, too, with virtual reality. They had people immerse themselves in virtual worlds, and if their avatars were, um, say, darker-skinned, um, then then they tested as less biased, according to this test. And it didn't work if they were, um, you know, a skin color that we never see. So they had they repeated it and people who were purple skin and they didn't show the same effect. So it was it was a pretty strong effect. It was just such a cool study. And I feel like if we could somehow do something where we can imagine ourselves as Muslims or as Syrian refugees or as people from a different socioeconomic status or as people with a different ethnic background, it would help us just overcome those initial biases to start working towards, okay, you know, these people are people just like us, just like our kids, just like our neighbors. 
um, you know, they're not that different from us and try to get over some of this division that we have right now that just makes me so sad. So is that what you were looking for? Yeah, that was a great answer. Um, you know, I know I know you went to you know Georgia Tech uh, for a time mm-hmm. and I'm actually a, a University of Miami graduate. So I'm not going to let that um, rivalry or if you call it one, <laughs> mess, mess with us. But but one of the interesting things that you talk about, and I love I love the fact that you have such a scientific approach to things. I read another one of your articles, which is um, I'm gonna go off a little, a little bit where I was before. But sex is like a thermostat. So I was like, okay, what is going on here? So <laughs> I read it and I'm like, all right. And so for those who don't understand what a closed feedback loop is, can you explain that? And I actually kind of somewhat agree with the article, but. How do you think, based on that input, with, with kind of how you explain it, thermostat, that people could improve their sex lives? Because I'm looking at it like, hey, you know, everybody's always looking for a tip, right? So I was, <laughs> I was reading it, and I was like, huh, this is very interesting. So if you could just explain that thermostat closed feedback loop All right. and how we could get more out of our sex lives, we'd really appreciate that. Awesome. Uh, I've turned into Dr. Ruth. You know, the editors, they never turn down sex and sperm pitches. Um, okay, so... Here's the idea. So your thermostat works like this. You want the temperature to be a certain temperature. Let's say you want your room to be 75 degrees, okay? So you set it to 75 degrees. And then if the room gets above 75 degrees, it turns on the air conditioner and it cools it down, right? And then if the room gets to be too cold, then it'll either stop or it'll... it'll um, It'll bring it back out. So th- there's a loop. There's a loop. So it, it's like test, you know, try to bring to a certain point. If something goes outside that, test again. And in this case, if you're t- talking about your sex life, you, you're getting the feedback on the thermostat is, you know, it's some kind of temper- temperature gauge, so a thermometer. And the feedback for um, your sex life is both the pleasure that you are receiving or not receiving and communication, uh, both verbal and physical, from your mate, right? And so the idea is if something goes wrong, you know, you have to be constantly kind of seeking feedback between yourself and your mate and just kind of knowing what's going on. Although I have to say that, that you know, sometimes when you're – in the passion of things, you might not be as focused on receiving feedback. <laughs> um, but yeah, so you have pleasure, hopefully running through your body. And, you know, you, if that feels good, you keep doing that, you know, and if, if that doesn't feel good, then you don't keep doing that. And if you're, if your partner is in, enjoying it, you know, keep doing that. And if your partner's not enjoying it, uh, don't keep doing that. Um, so it's just, it's, we have all these sort of feedback loops um, within us. Um, there, our bodies are constantly seeking feedback and trying to reach some, some positive state, uh, just like your thermostat, you know. So when you're having sex, you know, the idea is, is fun and pleasure and enjoyment. And that's, that's your 75 degrees. That's what you're trying to hit. And um, so I don't know if that's going to help you have better sex. I mean, most people are thinking about these things, I think. Um, hopefully both partners are seeking to pleasure both themselves and their partner. But, um, but yeah, yeah. they're missed out. Very cool. I mean, I think the communication thing is, is, what, is what is key. And it's just the yeah. way I think I'm, we're going to post an article on our website. I think it's just the way it explains it. It almost like 
you can really get something from it, I think. So, I mean, I'm kind of a, a nerd in that way, but I thought it was very cool. So I definitely appreciate you marrying those two things together. I never thought I would think about yeah. those two things that way. <laughs> well, thank you. Dr. Dr. Jenny Morber is with us, a freelance science journalist. Uh, you can follow her on Twitter at JRMorber, and you also can visit her website, JennyMorber.com. That's where Frank found those uh, articles that he just mentioned. She has others on there as well. All very interesting, so please visit that website, JennyMorber.com. Dr. Morber, uh, you are a journalist, and my question for you as as a writer, what is what is more important to you? Do you put more of a priority on what interests you or do you enjoy uh, teaching your readers uh, by what you write about as far as the latest discoveries in science? Like, do you enjoy, you know, unveiling something that's new or do you try to stick to what interests you and present it to the readers? Like the two articles that Frank checked out, he found those interesting. So which one do you put more of a priority on? Um, basically I just write about whatever interests me and I feel like if it's interesting to me, um, it's probably interesting to other people too, but I tell you what the two, my two favorite parts are the pitching. So I finding an idea and putting it together and, and I write to an editor and I say, Hey, I have this idea for a story. You know, how about you pay, you pay me for it. And strangely, uh, they say yes sometimes. And then the second best part is when it publishes and I start to get feedback from people. And most of the time the feedback is great. Um, and even if it's not, you know, complimentary, people say, well, you know, I, did you think about this or did you look at this? And sometimes, you know, they're spot on. And it's just so cool seeing people's reactions and um, hearing about what people felt and just seeing that, you know, people are reading your words. That's it's it's a trip. So, yeah, I write about what interests me. But um, hopefully the idea is that it interests a lot of other people, too. Good. We, we certainly appreciate your time. We're going to get you out of here with this uh, final question. We've been talking sure. a lot about uh, science. Is there a place for religion and science? Uh, doesn't much of what uh, is in science, doesn't it contradict a lot of religious beliefs? Or have you come across a lot of people that have found a way to marry the two? Oh, easy questions, huh? <laughs> um. <laughs> well, you know. <laughs> oh, warmed me up. And then, and then you get me with this question. Um, there are people who can marry both of them. Um, in fact, Francis Collins, the former director of the National Institutes of Health, was a highly religious Christian man. Um, that said, a lot of scientists are not, a lot of them are, but but I probably more in the population, oh, so probably a greater percentage of scientists are not religious compared to the general population. And um, I think that just tends to be with how they, we think. Um, we like evidence. You know, right. we like stuff that you can hold in your hand. Um, but that's not to say the two can't be married together. There's plenty of people who who do that um, successfully, and you're not all science contradicts religion. And if you consider religion to be sort of seeking truth and understanding, 
um, and belief just from two different places and, you know, a way to tell stories about ourselves that have meaning. I think that's a way to do it. Some people completely separate the two. Some people say science is is talking about how things work and uh, religion is talking about um, how things uh, maybe should be or why things are the way they are, like on a very deep level. And I think something a scientist that um, we should always do is remember our ignorance. So um, who's to say that we aren't the Earth is the whole universe that we know isn't some tiny speck on some toenail of some giant, amazing thing that we could never even imagine. Right. And I think that we need to keep that um, sort of we need not let our knowledge make us ignorant. We have to remember um, that everything we know could be some tiny piece of, of some other huge thing that we have no idea about. So, Very well. She is Dr. Jenny Morber, freelance science, science journalist. Um, again, you can visit her website, www.jennymorber.com, and you can follow her on Twitter, J.R. Morber. Uh, want to thank you again for giving us your time. We really appreciate it. Oh, I'm thrilled to be on your podcast. Thank you so much. And uh, thank you for the answers. And we'll talk to you again soon. want to thank Dr. Morber for coming on once again. I didn't mention this during the interview, but she and I went to the same elementary school. I have not seen her since I was in the fifth grade. Her mother was my fifth grade teacher. So it was good to catch up with her. That was actually the first time we've spoken or anything uh since the fifth grade and she was smart way back then so you know what she's doing now does not surprise me uh a couple of things during the interview that i like frank the two articles that you brought up especially the one about the rubber hand man i'm telling you just to to see how that study studies how the brain you know thinks and how it views you know uh dark skin i thought that was and that was amazing to me. And just, you know, I liked her answer on my, my hurricane question and, and whether or not we can create and direct them. Because, it, you know, I do think a lot of scientists can be kind of snobby, snotty with it. And she's just saying, you know, it's OK for people to think that way. You know, and she put a lot of blame on the science community, man. So I thought it was a different type of interview for us. You know, we usually have someone political or, you know, in a different field. We've never had someone in the science field. So what were your thoughts on the uh, interview with Ms. Morber? Seriously, I thought it was one of the best interviews we've done. I just love um, her, her just brilliant, her knowledge, um, just, just vast knowledge on all those topics. I thought, like you mentioned, the rubber hand article was great regarding implicit bias. Um, I also thought her answer on both religion and science was great because I think a lot of times people do try to completely separate them. And for me, as, as you know, on the show, I, I am a Christian or more importantly, a Christ follower because I don't know what some of these other people call themselves Christians are doing specifically, but I follow Jesus Christ specifically. But I do, I do feel like sometimes there's, there tries to be this thing where it's like they try to separate the two. And I just believe that science explains the wonders in my opinion, of the Bible or of, or of things that, you know, miracles that Jesus did or that miracles that happened in the Bible, those things are explained through science. It's not one or the other. It's it's part of a bigger, it's part of a bigger universe, as she mentioned, of things that's happening 
So don't be so narrow-minded and think that just because you know a little bit about science, you figure out the whole world. There had to be somebody who created all those boundaries for science to even exist and be studied. And that's, to me, why I, I, I love that, that kind of conversation. I could go on for a while, but it was a great interview. I encourage you to go to uh, www.jamiemorber.com to read some of her different articles. She has a lot of different stuff. She's um, talks about abstract stuff, but relates it to a very everyday topics so you'll you'll enjoy some of that uh those topics as well as some other stuff out there so great having her on love to have her back on in the future uh anyone who has a job or has done any type of socializing in the last week you've probably been asked are you ready for some football and huh, let's just say i'm gonna say this i'm gonna get into my thoughts on that in a second but, uh, Frank, you know, we just had the start of uh, football season last week. Uh, in addition to that, Michael Bennett, you know, released an incident that happened with him and Las Vegas uh, police after the Mayweather fight a couple of weeks ago. And, you know, Colin Kaepernick has been a great deal of discussion during the offseason. I know you have a lot to say about the football season and your new view on it. So I wanted to give you the floor first and, and share whatever is on your mind, whether you want to comment on Bennett, the season as a whole, Kaepernick, whatever. And then I'm going to get into uh, my reasons on why I no longer watch the NFL. But I wanted to give the floor to you first. Man, I really appreciate this, and I'm going to try not to go too long. I've had this built up in a lot. Has has come. I mean, I'm, I you know a lot has come into my mind during this off season of what happened. And for those of you who know me, you know I'm a huge NFL fan. Uh, for years, um, you know I had uh, I also had a podcast called Two Guys Fantasy uh, that I ran with another friend of mine, a great friend of mine. And I'm not doing that this year. I ran it for like six years, and I had different websites, and I ran different fantasy leagues, and so I was in it all the way. And you know, the the to say. Why not from the NFL? I have to start like from I'll start from the bottom, which is the Colin Kaepernick thing definitely bothers me. I mean that bothers me because one, you have a league that's made up basically three quarters of black players, and when they express an issue that might affect their lives, as you can see what happened with Michael Bennett, as you can see what happened with Flando Castillo, obviously um, Alton Sterling, um, Terrence Crutcher, more more fatal incidents, not the Michael Bennett incident, but you see that there is a unfair targeting of African-Americans. And for the people not to be able to empathize with that, it really, really started rubbing me the wrong way. But then I started looking at how much time I was actually spending watching football and participating in it. And I said, man, this is almost an idol. This is not, you know, and I'm sitting up here saying I'm following Jesus Christ. No, I'm following the NFL. That's, that, was, that was almost my God. And so I realized that, man, I can't worship the same God that the people that hate me worship every Sunday so you know like who am I to be like I love the NFL but they hate the people that make it up and then it, and then just you know what the time that I was spending consuming it you know I was losing things in my life time with my family just t time alone time you know, thoughts I should you know I'm waking up in the night thinking about who's in my fantasy lineup why am I thinking about that like that's a personal thing but what I'm saying is the Colin Kaepernick thing opened my mind to the to the heresy of the NFL and then certainly um, you know my my faith started making me realize you know what I don't really need that in my life like I don't need that to be part of my life and so I'm not here to tell you that if you're watching the NFL you're a hypocrite or you know you're a sinner or anything like that it's not even that it's just that 
take a good long look at what the product is, who's watching it, who's actually making up the product, and the way that you can make up the product. And if that doesn't at least make you a little bit uncomfortable, then I, I don't really know what to say other than, you know, you just have a different view of the world, which is totally legitimate. The one positive thing that's come out of it is the Cleveland Police Department and firefighters are now coming together with the Cleveland Browns players and having an open dialogue on how they can be better for their community because that's what this conversation was all about. And that's the greatest irony in all this to me is the fact that by not signing Colin Kaepernick, they have actually made his point louder than it ever could have been made if they had signed him. And I just think that's an amazing thing. So you certainly said a lot that I planned on saying and I just want to start off my thoughts with I realize that no company is perfect. So, you know, the few people that I have spoken to this about, they're like, well, you know, no company is perfect. This is true. But just like when we spoke about uh, certain entertainers, actors and singers that they pretty much have all done something bad. And, you you know, you individually have to pick and choose who you draw the line with and who you, you say, OK, I know they're not perfect, but I still enjoy the music and I'm going to enjoy it for me. The NFL crossed the line for me. This is my these are my personal reasons. And right now, boycott the NFL is very popular. And that's that's good. That's great. What I'm doing is not boycotting. I'm not boycotting the NFL. If I can help it, I'm done with the NFL. And I have a, a, a whole lot of reasons. I'm just going to try to give you just a handful. Some are small, some are big. But like one is a couple of years ago when I found out that they were taxing our military in order for them to, uh, you know, have have soldiers out there and try to recruit people. And it, it was kind of like fake patriotism. They, you know, the NFL was coming across as, oh, man, look what they're doing for our military. When all the while they were charging them millions of dollars to do it at each of these games. And I, I just thought that was so phony and fake. The league blatantly lies. And like three of the major lies is the Miami Dolphins, the whole Jonathan Martin uh, incognito thing. When that came out, you know, the NFL said, hey, we're going to create this panel to investigate, you know, bullying in the NFL. This was about maybe four or five years ago. Frank, you might can correct me on it. It was about four or five years ago. And the panel consisted of like Dan Marino, Tony Dungy, and I think a couple of more big names in, in the NFL. They haven't met one time. They announced the creation of that panel and said how they're going to have meetings and get to the bottom of this bullying thing. Haven't met one single solitary time. The whole concussion research, they announced that they're going to uh, pledge $100 million to the study of concussions. You know how much they've really donated? A million. And that million was to the concussions of horse jockeys. It has nothing to do with the NFL because they don't really want to get to the bottom of this whole concussion thing. They look like they are. They sound like they are. But when you really peel back where the money goes, they are not. They blame lie. Then the biggest lie I think they told in recent memory was the whole Ray Rice take. Now, we all admit, you know, what Ray Rice did was bad and he deserved to be punished. But the NFL, to me, was worse because they lied claiming that they had never seen the tape. They didn't know the tape existed. They had seen that tape and they were still going to let that man. What was the original suspension, Frank? Like two games or something like that. So, but, yeah, it was two games. Yeah, two games. But then when the public outrage came, oh, well, we hadn't seen the tape. Now that we've seen the tape, you know, we're going to give them six games. We're going to give them indef- no, indefinitely. And then from now on, all future domestic violence abusers would get six games. Well, that was another lie in itself because 
your kicker uh, for the Giants, Josh Brown, he <laughs> he didn't get six games. I think he got like a game or two. They just recently announced that, that he's been spending additionally additional six games, but he's no longer on a team right now. So that's a little too late. So uh, the 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 other complaint I have with them is the whole good old boy nature of the league is 2017, and you still got. GMs, these are supposed to be smart, educated, you know, articulate men. And they're asking Des Bryant, has his mama uh, ever prostituted before? What does that have to do with him playing football, catching the football? They're, they're, the Miami Dolphins interviewed uh, Mike Tomlin, who's the coach of the Pittsburgh Steelers. They said he was too hip hop. I'll let you interpret what that means. They said he was too hip hop for them. Uh, and then there's the Colin Kaepernick thing. I feel like everybody has said pretty much what there is to say on Kaepernick, especially my brother Shannon Sharp. Man, I love the way he breaks down, you know, all things Colin Kaepernick. So I'm not going to dwell on that. I'm just going to say that I just find it funny that the people that disagree with Kaepernick, they they never focus on why he's protesting. They focus on what he's doing. And I don't know any more peaceful way to protest than what he did. He didn't, uh, you know, come out there with some signs saying, look at me. In fact, he had done it a game or two before somebody even noticed. So to me, racism is being uh, patriotism is being used to shield a lot of people's racism. And they're saying they don't like what he did because, you know, it's disrespectful to the flag. It's disrespectful to the troops. No, you have a problem with what he is protesting. Well, we don't like the way this country was built on slavery either. Bye. Is it, you know what I mean? So that, that's all I'm going to say about the Kaepernick thing, because much smarter people have said, you know, have spoken on that. But again, I'm not pushing for anybody to boycott football. I, I don't I haven't even really posted about it on social media on how I'm boycotting it. And like I said, what I'm doing is not a boycott. You know, if I'm able to uh, stick to my guns, I'm done with football for good. It is a great game. I will miss it. it you know, it's great to watch. And Frank, you brought up a great point. It can really, you know, the first game started at 1 p.m. Eastern Standard Time and they're not over to nearly midnight. And you if you're somebody that watches every game, that's a whole day gone just watching that sport. So it's a great game. And I'm not you know, I'm not bragging about it. I'm not I don't look at myself as like, you know, I'm woke now. I'm so woke and I'm not watching the football and people that do. You guys are not woke. No, it's not. It's not about that. This is just a personal decision for me. And this is a conclusion that I came to, you know, by myself on my own. And I really was feeling like this last year for the most part. The Kaepernick thing is what really just, you know, made me be done with it altogether. So I'm willing to engage with anybody that would like to debate my reasons on this. But again, I'm not pushing it on anybody and I'm not bragging or promoting it. It's just. You know, the way I feel, man. So that's all that I got to say about that. Enjoy your football if that's what you choose to do. And um, I'll be finding something else to do, reading the books, spending more time with the family or something. Before we get out of here, I'm going to toss it to Frank. We have not forgotten about, you know, the victims of these hurricanes, Hurricane Harvey, the people of Houston. Uh, like I said, as we record, Hurricane Irma is bearing down on the state of Florida. Uh, I do not have the websites for them. I do realize a lot of you guys are leery of donating to RedCross.org. 
So for those of you who, who don't have a problem with RedCross.org, please donate there. If you are skeptical of RedCross.org, but you want to help people in Houston, some uh, some organizations that I, I have found that make sure the money gets to the people, HoustonHabitat.org. Uh, also, there's FoodNotBombs.net as well as YourCity.com. Again, HoustonHabitat.org, FoodNotBombs.net, and your hope city.com so if you want to donate but you're like look i've read too many things about red cross and how the money is not getting to the people is only going to you know the people the ceos at the top or whatever consider those three websites as well once i have the ones for florida i will post them on our social media page instagram and uh, facebook so that's that and i'll toss it to you brother yeah, just to echo what Byron said, you know, um, Global Giving is another uh, great website you can give to if you're not if you don't want to do the Red Cross. They they're actually more focused on uh, getting with local charities and local uh, food banks to give out the um, to give out supplies. And I think that's what happens with the Red Cross. There is probably some corruption in there, but the thing to understand is they have such a big infrastructure. They have to use that money to kind of set up and do their operation, whereas. Some of these local charities, they can just focus on the mission of, hey, they know where the people are, they know what to do, they have an infrastructure already set up. So Red Cross is almost too monolithic sometimes to process the money efficiently. So that's just another thing. That's not a super cynical take, but that's just a real take. Um, the other thing to, you know, we just want our prayers and thoughts to be with those people of, of the hurricanes. You know, while we, while we think about Hurricane Irma, which is bearing down on uh, South Florida area, Miami, where I have a lot of friends and family, still, we just want to pray that they be safe. We still want to pray for people in Houston. Even though the storm has passed, the water has not. We just want to continue to um, pay attention to that. And, and, and we're, we're in the age of Facebook. You know, one of the things that, that me and my wife did, I'm very happy that we were able to do is we found a local family that, that we knew through a friend we were able to contribute to them so that's another thing you can also do is ask around and see who needs help because just because they're on Facebook posting doesn't mean they might they might be in more need than anybody you know so just just don't be afraid to ask around if you need help don't be afraid to ask for help because people are you know are out there looking to help people in, in this time so again I want to thank Dr. Jenny Morber for joining the show uh Visit Jenny, www.jennymorber.com to read more of her articles. We, we'd love to have you on again. Um, again, thank you, Byron, for being such a great host. You always make the show uh, run run smooth when I go off the rails. I do appreciate that. We want to also uh, recommend everybody check out our interviews on YouTube. Uh, we always have some great interviews. You can go back and listen to Claiborne Carson, uh, Tim, 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 uh, Tim Wise, Senator Tim Scott, uh, Zaza Ali, just some really good interviews there. Also check us out, uh, Google Play Podcasts, iTunes, Stitcher, and Podbean as well. So we're excited for everybody listening. Keep sharing the show with all your friends, and we'll see you guys soon on another episode of Politically Entertaining. Thank you for listening to Politically Entertaining. Be sure to subscribe to the podcast via iTunes and visit politicallyentertaining.com for the latest in political news and updates.